This is LEC Online Church in Perry, Ohio. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit LakeErieChurch.com. Now here's today's message. And we're halfway through uh, the Jonah series. Today we'll mark the third of our four messages. So I thought it might be significant for us to be able to recap a couple of the things that we've been learning in the story of Jonah. Here's the first thing. That God's love extends to all people, even the people that we don't like. About four of you. God's love extends to all people, even the people we don't like. That ugly, mean brother-in-law of yours. Yeah, God loves him. The people that have done you wrong, the guy that fired you or told a lie on you, God loves him too. God's love extends uh, to all people. Here's the second thing. It's a dangerous thing to disobey God. It's a dangerous thing to reject what God has told you to do, to be disobedient to what God is wanting you to do. And then the third thing that we learn is that none of us can take credit for the grace that God has given to us. The grace that we have, none of us have been given, none of us can take credit for that. It's not because of us that we are saved. It's not because of anything that we have done that we are saved. It is only by the grace of God and God has extended that grace to us. And we don't have a corner on God's grace. We'll talk about that some today uh, in chapter 3. But we don't have a corner on God's grace. And we can't brag about anything as it relates to our, to our righteousness. Because the Bible says our righteousness is filth. It's not anything we're doing. It's not because we're keeping a set of rules or guidelines or we're living up to somebody's mantra. No, it's because of God's grace. His unmerited favor that we have received is the reason that we stand here today. It's the reason that we can sing. It's the reason that we can rejoice together. So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for what you're about to do in this room today. The power of your word alive in our hearts like we studied Wednesday night, Lord, that the word of God is quick and powerful divides and separates, Lord, makes us choose. So may your word be strong in every heart and every life today. And may we understand more clearly, God, what you are trying to do in each and every one of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. If this is your first Sunday with us and you are trying to catch up, let me catch you up really quick. Uh, we are studying the book of Jonah, and in the study of Jonah, we are learning that Jonah was a prophet. He was a prophet, a voice piece of God that God had used successfully in many years in the country of Israel. And one day, God spoke to Jonah and said to Jonah, Go to Nineveh and announce my judgment to the people. Tell them that if they don't repent, I'm going to destroy them. And Jonah, for personal reasons, said, I'm not going to do that. And so he went as far as he could away from God and decided that he would try to run from God, but God would not let him. God caused a storm on the ship that Jonah was on to be tossed 
until they threw Jonah overboard and the Bible said that God prepared a fish. And Jonah was taken by that fish. He spent three days and three nights. And you say, well, I don't believe that. Well, let me tell you, Jesus said in his teaching, he said, as Jonah was in the belly of a fish three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. Jesus would not have lied. That's why I know that story happened. Because Jesus referenced it. And so Jonah was in the way, in the fish, whatever the fish was, and he was there for three days. And we said last week that whether or not Jonah repented probably is debatable. But we don't, do know this, that Jonah relented and said, God, I can't fight you anymore, so we're going to do it your way. And the Bible said that God caused the fish to expel Jonah out on the shore. And then we come to chapter 3. And I know there's only one verse up there, Ethan, on the... PowerPoint, so I'll ask you to put that up. It's verse 10. But I've decided this morning I want to read this entire chapter. There's only nine more verses. So if you have your Bible, chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large it took three days to see it all, kind of like North Perry. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, he dressed himself in burlap, and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Now watch this next verse. Verse 10, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he did change his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Now, sometimes it's hard for us to read the Bible and to, to find a connection that makes sense to us. But let me see if I can help you with it this way. What if perhaps someone in your family has been brutally abused, violated, or, or violently injured by somebody who took advantage of them? And you have struggled to overcome that. Maybe, maybe a drunk driver uh, killed your family or, or your daughter was taken advantage of or whatever and you've tried to navigate your way emotionally and spiritually through that to find your way to some level of peace the anger that boils inside of you the 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 angst that you have toward those who have taken advantage and have destroyed your peace and just about the time that you think you have it compartmentalized in a way that you can manage it God says here's what I want you to do I want you to go find the person that hurt you and I want you to tell them that I love them and that I want to save them. And you say, God, I can't do that. Well, then you know exactly what the story of Jonah is about. That's exactly what the story is. 
The Ninevites, the Assyrians, were a despicable people and they had traveled throughout Jonah's land and they had brutalized the people. They had killed and, and, and injured and, and tortured the people of Israel. And God wants Jonah, Jonah to go and tell this people that God wants to save them. And Jonah says, no way, I'm not going to do that. And the Bible said that after chapter 2, after he basically says, I can't fight you anymore, I'm going to go. He goes into the city of Nineveh and he does exactly what God says for him to do. Now I may be reading too much into the scripture, but I, I almost feel like that Jonah's going through Nineveh doing what God tells him to do like the little boy whose mother said, you will sit down. And he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. He's doing what God wants him to do, but he doesn't want to do it. But he announces the judgment of God, and then something very dramatic happens, doesn't it? The Bible said that the people responded, and they began to repent and have sorrow over what they had done. And the whole city, the whole city turns toward God. And when the whole city does, the Bible said God changed his mind. Now, this idea about God changing his mind can be a little problematic because we preach about a God that never changes. We preach about a God that is consistently and faithfully always the same. So the idea that God can change his mind is a little difficult for us. But there is, in fact, stories in the Bible where God does change his mind. Hezekiah was a king in, first, in 2 Kings chapter 20. And the prophet comes into his house and says, Listen, God sent me here to tell you that you should set your house in order, put your affairs in place, because you're going to die in three days. And the Bible said that Hezekiah turns his face toward the wall and he begins to pray and he says to God, God, I've been faithful. I have single-mindedly served you all the days of my life and I don't want to die. And the Bible said that before Isaiah left the court of the king, God said, go back in and tell the king I've changed my mind. It helps me to understand that this unchanging God that we serve is in fact moved by the human dimension. He is in fact moved by what goes on here on earth. He is in fact motivated at times and moved by what happens in our life. This story is an example of that. The people of the city respond with sorrow and repentance. And when they did, notice what it says. When God saw that what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. Now, when he changes his mind, it ticked Jonah off. It ticked Jonah off. Because what Jonah wanted, God, he wanted God to destroy the Ninevites. He wanted them to be destroyed. And God decides that he's going to let them live. And it bothers, Nehemiah, it bothers Jonah so much. Chapter 4, next week we'll get into all of that when we talk about the issues that Jonah has with God. But just listen to this one verse. This one verse is, is for, uh, chapter 4, it's actually three verses. Jonah chapter 4. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry, so he complained to the Lord about it. 
Notice what he says. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Notice this. Just kill me now, God. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not come to pass. Now let that sink in a second. Jonah says, look, just kill me. I'd rather you kill me than I have to go back home and tell people what you did. Again, he's, he's wrestling with this prejudice that he has toward these Ninevites that they don't deserve God's mercy. They don't deserve the grace of God. He says, I would rather die. It's a man that is consumed with his own perception of who God is and what God's supposed to be. And when it doesn't line up, he's got all kinds of internal issues. So I want to offer you two statements and then we're going to pray. Two statements. Here's the first one. God's agenda is not to make you and I happy but it is to save lost humanity. You see, I think it's very easy for us sometimes to think that God exists to make us happy. That God exists to bless us. We're all the time talking about God bless me. God bless me. God do this for me. God do that for me. And we have, a, we have a mentality that God's agenda must be to bless us. It's why we made, some of us made that choice. I'm going to cast my light with God. He's going to take care of me. Well, yes, he is. But that's not really his agenda. The agenda of God is John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what the agenda of God is. That's why Jesus came to the earth. And sometimes if we're not careful, we become very self-consumed. We become very self-centered thinking that it's all about what God does for us. Thank God for his blessing. Thank God for the blessings of God. But that's not why Jesus came into this world. It's not why God is here. He is here to redeem lost people. And that's the important thing that Jonah can't seem to get it in his mind. And what Jonah's looking at is what we look at sometimes, isn't it? We look at people and think it is unlikely that God will ever save them. It's the unlikely ones. That's what Jonah saw in those Ninevites. It's not likely that God could save them. They're too wicked. It's the same thing Habakkuk went through. When God began to tell Habakkuk about what he was going to do, that he was going to raise up the Persians to come and destroy. He said, how can you do that? They are way more wicked than your people. But God doesn't work according to our agenda. He doesn't work according to our expectations. He has a plan that he wants to work, and that plan is to redeem the world. Jesus came into the world in order that men and women could be saved. And if we learn anything from the story of of Jonah, it is the fact that God is always saving unlikely people. Look at the Apostle Paul. How likely is it that God would save somebody like that? 
a man who made it his mission, a man who was desiring to destroy the church and take away these disciples. He had authority and letters in his hand in order that he could go and find them and throw them into jail. He was making it his mission to rid the world of these disciples. When God arrested him on the road to Damascus, changed and pivoted his life, and then God spoke to a, 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 a disciple by the name of Ananias and said, Ananias, I want you to go over to Straight Street and there you're going to meet one Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias said, oh my God, not him. No, no God, I've heard about him, how terrible he is. And God said, oh, you won't believe this, but he's one of ours now. You see, God's always doing that, isn't he? He's always saving unlikely people. Look at Todd Darley sitting right there. Stand up, Todd. He's one of our own, isn't he? One of our boys. But let me tell you how unlikely it is. See, the, the world would have said it's unlikely that God can save that boy. When they sent him off to jail, the judge probably didn't think there was much opportunity there but God. You see what I'm saying? But God. And I had Todd's permission to use him. Thank you, Todd. Because he's one of those examples of how unlikely. And I could just stop and start calling people because we all have a testimony. None of us deserve to be saved. None of us deserve the mercy of God. We're only saved because of God's grace that is so unlikely. We didn't deserve it, but God in his greatness. That's why you can't give up on people. That's why you can't give up on those that look unlikely. Even though it may feel like they are so far away from God. You prayed for your husband and you prayed for your husband and you prayed for your husband. I'm just telling you, sister, you just keep praying because God saves unlikely people. You prayed for your kids and prayed for your kids and the devil told you it won't happen. The devil is a liar because God still saves unlikely people. Evil people, wicked people, violent people, the mercy of God, the grace of God, it extends to every person. I was reading this week that story in Luke 1 and 37. The verse says, for with men things will be impossible, but with God. You hear what I'm saying? But with God. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know how evil they are, but, but with God. You say, you don't know how violent they are, but with God. It's God's power and God's grace that redeems lost people. And it's the agenda of God to take the most unlikely people in this world and put his grace upon them as a testimony of a God who never gives up. Never gives up his relentless pursuit of lost people. It brings me to the second and final one. There is still power in the message of Jesus. There is still power in the message of Jesus. Several years ago, I was invited to participate in the 60th celebration of the nation of Israel. And so I flew from Baton Rouge, Louisiana to New York City. And uh, was able to go to the United Nations. It was a tremendous honor and experience to be there. Some of the renowned leaders of the world were there. And I was very privileged. So when that experience was over, I got back on my plane. I started back home. And as I'm getting ready to 
leave on the plane. I'm sitting there on the plane. I don't know if you do much flying, but, you know, sometimes it's nice to have empty seats around you. So I'm sitting there and there's nobody on my row. And I thought, all right, from New York to Atlanta, nobody sitting beside me. The last person to get on that plane comes to my row and says, uh, hey, dude, I think I'm on your row here. I said, I'm sure you are. Come on in. He threw his knapsack up underneath the seat, sat next to me, took his hat off and put his head up against the back of the seat. And he just started, you know, bouncing kind of like that. I thought, okay, I'm not sure what's going on here, but we'll just wait and see. So I'm reading my Bible. I'm sitting there holding my Bible, reading my Bible. When he finishes, he puts his hat back on. He looks over and he went, oh, the Bible. You must be a believer. I said, I am. He said, uh, what's your favorite book? I said, well, I don't know that I have a favorite book. I'm reading the book of Philippians right now. He said, Romans. Love the book of Romans. Read the book of Romans every day of my life. Every day of my life I read the book of Romans. Well, I thought, okay, Romans, that's not, that's not early beginning reading right there. That's tough theological reading. I said, well, I thought to myself, well, okay. I mean, I don't know what you would have thought the next question was, but I thought the next question was, where do you go to church? And he looked at me with a blank look, kind of a stare, and he said, well, let me just, there's no easy way to say this. I hate going to church. I don't go to church. Okay. So there's this awkward pause because I don't know what to ask next. So I just waited and he caught up on it. He said, well, no, listen, I know that that messes you up, but I, I hate the church. I won't ever go back to church. I don't have any desire to go to church. Don't have any desire to be a part of a church. But let me tell you something. I'm in love with Jesus. Okay. I'm in love with Jesus, but don't like the church. So I don't have that Bible with me today, but in the margin of my Bible, I wrote these words. How does somebody love Jesus but not love the church? And it occurred to me as I was on that plane that what happens sometimes is that the church doesn't always represent Jesus to the world. And people disassociate the two. That church is one thing, Jesus is something else. And while we say, well, the world's turned off to church and the institution of religion, and I'm going to buy that argument because a lot of people are turned off the church. I'm just telling somebody in this house, the message of Jesus has never been hotter than it is right now. People are hungry to know about Jesus. They need to know there is something about Jesus that still captivates this world. Because the message of Jesus still has power. And if the story of Jonah teaches us anything, you can walk into a city that hates God, that has no desire for God, and you can present the message of hope, and you can tell the story of who he is, and somehow the Holy Spirit is able to captivate the heart of the hardest sinner because of the story of Jesus. And that's the message that we must tell. That must be the message of LEC. It must be the message of every believer. The story of Jesus. Not the story of the church. Not the story of our church. It's not that I want you to come to church. I want you to come to Jesus. 
It's not that I want you to be a member of my church. I just want you to come to Jesus because if you come to Jesus, you'll be all right. You can go to hell and be a member of this church. But if you get to Jesus, you'll be all right. So let's wrap this up. Notice what happened. The Bible said when the message went to the city, the people responded. There was a godly sorrow that fell upon the city of Nineveh. Verse 5 says, The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And the people responded. They responded with a public demonstration of sorrow and contrition. It's that same kind of sorrow that makes the difference. It's like what I say every week. It's not enough just to to pray a prayer. You have to really be sorry for your sins. If you are really sorry for your sins, the Lord hears that prayer. The people responded. What would it be like? What would it be like if the news was out that every resident in Perry, Ohio today fell on their face in sorrow and repentance? I looked up the numbers and I I don't know. Madison has 3,600 residents. What if 3,600 people repented before the Lord today? Wouldn't that be something? Well, let me tell you what happened here. 120,000 people fell on their face before God. There are 250,000 residents in Lake County. What if God were to touch this county? What kind of revival would that be? If somehow the word was out, the message of hope went forth, and every citizen in Lake County fell on their face and said, God, have mercy upon us. And God said, I will receive that prayer, and I will forgive you of your sin. But not only did the people respond, the Bible said that the leaders of the nation responded. In verse 8 they said, everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Now hold on to your seat. What if the leaders in Washington, our president, our congressman, our governmental officials, what if the declaration was today? Let the nation of the United States bow on its knee before Almighty God. Let us repent of our sin and let's turn from our evil ways. Let's stop the violence that's in our streets and let's come to God and perhaps God will forgive us of our sins. You say, oh, that'll never happen. Why not? Why not? If God can save every citizen in Nineveh, God can save every citizen in the United States of America. Come on now. If God can save me, he can save anybody. If God can save you, he can save anybody. All they have to do is turn their heart toward Jesus. And when the people responded and God responded, that's what he did. He responded. He saw what they had done How they had turned. Remember what I said last week about repentance? Repentance is not just saying you're sorry. It's turning and going in a different direction. The Bible said they stopped what they were doing. Turned in a different direction. And God decided he would not destroy 
the land. Now, it, it should have been one of the greatest moments in Jonah's life to have been part of the miracle of the salvation of an entire city. But instead, he's angry at God. And we'll talk about that next week. That'll be the, the last of these, the issues that you and I have with God. Jonah has issues with God. He's got issues of pride because he doesn't want to go back to Israel and tell the people of Israel that he was a part of the city of Nineveh coming to God. Because that's our enemies. He was a popular prophet. According to 2 Kings 16, he was popular in the land. He was renowned for his prophecy. If he has to go back and tell people what God has done, his reputation is shot. See, he made it about himself. He not only has pride, but he has prejudice. He hasn't resolved the issue against his brother. You're not going to heaven if you hate your brother. Hear me. You better resolve your prejudice. You better resolve your issue. You can't go to heaven. God hates prejudice. He not only has pride or prejudice, but he's got another issue. He's in disagreement with God. He doesn't like what God has done. He doesn't care for what God has done. He doesn't want God to save the people. So I have a question for you this morning. Where are you in the story of Jonah? Are you a bridge to lost people? Are you a wall to present, prevent people from coming to Jesus? You see, I think sometimes we're like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. We look at our brother at what he has done and we think he doesn't deserve God's mercy. That's what he told his daddy. He said, this son of yours, what he's done with his life, he doesn't deserve a party. He doesn't deserve a celebration. His father said, you're missing the point. Your brother was lost and now he is found. When you, when you got here today, they gave you a card. Would you get that card out? Hold it. It's a white card. You're going to need something to write with. If you don't have something to write with, hold your hand up. The ushers will run something to you. I think we've got some back there in the back. Every one of us in this room knows somebody that doesn't know Christ. We've done these kind of exercises over and over and over again. We're going to do it one more time. Are you going to be a bridge or are you going to be a wall? Is your heart open to all that God is trying to do in you, around you, through you, with you? Are you a bridge or are you a wall? If you're a bridge this morning, 
I want you to put the name of somebody that you know that does not know Christ on that card. I'd like for you to write their full name if you're comfortable doing that. Somebody you know that does not know Christ, somebody you know that does not know the Lord, write their name. Put it on that card. Here's my promise to you. That card will be prayed over every day this week. I won't be the only one, but there'll be others, intercessors in our church. But somebody will be praying over that card every day this week. I don't know who that person is. I don't know what they represent in your life. I'm confident that I could probably stop and some of you could say, I've prayed for my brother. I've prayed for my sister. I've prayed for my mama. I've prayed for my dad. I've prayed for years and years. I've prayed for my husband. I know I've told you the story. When I was a little boy, I went to a revival with my dad. And a man came to the altar that night and got saved. His wife testified that she had been praying 41 years for him to be saved. I've always just been captivated by 41 years of persistently saying, God, when are you going to save my husband? When are you going to save my husband? God, please save my husband. Living a life of faith and hope in front of him every day, hoping that today, this Sunday, this week, he would turn his heart toward God. Can I just tell you this? Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Don't stop trusting God. You say, Brother Isaac, is there any promise? Here's, here's a promise you can hold on to. Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. There are some mothers in this room that you've been laboring over your children. You've been worried and you've been frustrated. Here's God's promise to you. Train up a child in the way that he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Every promise God's ever made you is true. Are you going to be a bridge or a wall? Are you going to respond to the command of God? Or are you going to resist and fight against what God is trying to do? It's your choice. Write their name on that card. And now let's pray. Father, it is in the name of Jesus. We hold in our hands right now lives. And not just a single life, God. Help us to see that. That one life becomes more than one life when it is redeemed by the power of God. Because it touches others that don't know Christ. And so, Father, we pray today for faith. And we pray, God, for regaining our faith that you will save this person that I'm holding today. 
God, you know how long I've prayed. You know how many times I've prayed. But God, my faith again leans in to say, God, I believe that you will save them. Help me to be a bridge. Help me to be a bridge. Let my heart and mind be open today to receive everything that God is trying to do in me so that I can be a bridge to people that need to know Jesus Christ. Open up meaningful conversations on my job. Open up meaningful relationships with people in my neighborhood. Help me, God, to be sensitive to what you are doing around me. To the glory and the honor of God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So in a moment, when Pastor Dustin comes to dismiss, he will give instructions about the offering as you go out. You can drop those cards in that basket. I'll retrieve them, and they will be prayed over every day this week. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Here's the bridge part. Would you pray for an opportunity to invite that person to come with you next Sunday? Would you do that? See, because if I'm honest with you, if I'm honest with you, I'm disappointed that you're not bringing more sinners with you to church. We talk a lot about it here. We talk about loving God and loving people. Bring lost people to church with you. Invite them. Let's believe God for a harvest of lost people. When the service is over, if you need special prayer, Shelly and I will be right here. We'll be happy to pray with you before you go home. God bless. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church located in Perry, Ohio, about 30 minutes east of Cleveland. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.